Good morning, if you would. Let's get a Bible out and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel 7, where we'll be reading from and studying from this part of our worship. Appreciate Jeremiah leading us in those songs. I, I never am quite used to the last verse of, uh, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We did not sing that in the Sacred Selections book I grew up singing out of. Uh, and so I'm always a little, I'm ready to go at the end of the third verse, and then, uh, then we always have the fourth one. But I appreciate him leading those songs. I think you will see as we go through the lesson how the things that we've sung about, the faithfulness of God, and uh, how God as a fount of every blessing uh, will relate to what we're going to talk about. Normally, uh, this is the fourth Sunday. Uh, normally on the fourth Sunday, we have a singing service. Uh, we are not having a singing service this morning, and the reason is uh, I completely forgot about it on Wednesday. Uh, on Wednesday, I got to the building, and I realized I needed to have a sheet with all the songs on it. So I talked to Stephen, and Stephen says, well, sounds like we're having Jacob on Sunday. So um, I apologize for that. Uh, but don't worry, we'll have more time to sing uh, and, at a future time. But uh, you have to, as Miss Betty said, we have to listen to you again. And that's true, you have to listen to me. Although you don't have to listen, I guess, but I would appreciate it. Uh, so good to see you this morning. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, I have some things that I think will be oh, uh, a helpful encouragement to all of us. And that's what I want to talk about. First Samuel 7 and verse 12. First Samuel 7 and verse 12 says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So after God gives Israel a great victory, which is what's described in the first 11 verses of First Samuel 7, Samuel takes a stone and raises it up, and he calls it Ebenezer, which is a word that means the stone of help. And he says, to this point, or till now, the Lord has helped us. And so what I want to do, and what I want us to talk about, is how each one of us needs to raise our Ebenezer, and how we can do that. So I'm going to encourage you to raise your Ebenezer, and first of all, we're going to talk about what that means, and then we're going to talk about how you and I can do it. So... This passage, 1 Samuel 7, is really the end of a long section that begins back in chapter 4. So let's look back in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and kind of get the idea of what's happening here. So in 1 Samuel 4, we are having a, a difficult time in Israel because Eli, who is the judge of Israel, has been told by God that his house is not going to continue because of the wickedness of his sons and, and Eli's failure to discipline them. And so there is a prophecy given through Samuel who is beginning to kind of come into his own as a prophet and as a judge. And the, the word comes through Samuel that, that bad things are going to happen to Eli and to his sons. So 1 Samuel 4 and verse 1 says, Now the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. So Samuel, you see there in verse 1, the word of Samuel came to all Israel means Samuel is becoming a prominent, well-known prophet. But you also have this idea that they're going out to battle against the Philistines, who are the typical enemy of Israel at this time. And look at the place where they go. I mean, this is, I'm not the type to get really wrapped up in geographical things and, and battle plans and things like that. But it says it very plainly there in verse 1 that they encamped at Ebenezer. And Ebenezer is a place that is going to be associated with one of the greatest disasters in Israel's history. It's about to happen. And where does it happen? It happens at Ebenezer. All right, so you got that in your head. Verse 2, the Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. So disastrous day for Israel. The Philistines rout them, and 
if you are an Israelite soldier, you begin to think what probably most of the Israelites think. We don't lose. I mean, we've got God on our team. When God fights with us, when God helps us, nobody stands a chance. And not only do you think that, because you've probably experienced that at different times, but there's a long history of that happening in Israel's history, where when there's a battle, even when they're outnumbered, even when the guys are really big or there's fortifications, you got the Jericho story. Oh, wow, the big walls don't matter. Nothing can stand in God's way. So what happened? So, verse 3 When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? You notice that language? We didn't lose to them. The Lord defeated us. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. I am amazed that it is the elders of Israel who come up with this plan. Uh, Because usually the elders, whether in the ancient times or even in New Testament times, the elders are sort of the careful, cautious types who say, let's not do anything that's going to be a foolish thing. Let's be wise. And this is a foolish idea. The idea that if we lose, let's just get the Ark of the Covenant and then we'll win. But the elders are the ones who do this. And so they bring the Ark kind of like a good luck charm. You know, if the ark is here, God has to help us. God has to be here. But something fascinating happens. When they bring the ark into the camp, the Philistines hear about it, and it actually emboldens the Philistines. Look down in verse 8. 1 Samuel 4, verse 8. Woe to us, this is the Philistines speaking, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So... They know how powerful God is, and they say, well, we've got to do our very best. Meanwhile, God does not appear to help Israel. Look at verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. So the battle ends in abject disaster. It could not get any worse. 30,000 Israelites die, everybody runs home, Eli's sons die, the ark is captured. And in fact, it it gets worse because then when Eli hears the news, he falls over and dies. So now there's no judge in Israel. And then Phinehas' son is born and is named Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Think about it. That's the, the tone of the people. The ark is gone. Our leaders are gone. The glory is gone. God is gone. Everything is the worst. That's Ebenezer. The wor- one of the worst disasters in Israel's history. Well, if you know any more about the story, you know that it's not such a great victory for the Philistines. Because they capture the ark, and they bring the ark back home, and all this funny stuff starts happening. So you've got, and and I'm summarizing chapters 5 and 6 here, but um, what happens is they bring the ark, and and their god, Dagon, keeps falling down before the ark and bowing down. And then I think it's his, what is it, his hands and his head are found cut off, which is a major problem, you know, if you're a god and you don't have head and hands. So uh, then a lot of the people begin to have tumors, And so there's seven months that the ark is in Philistine hands, and they finally decide, you know what, Uh, let's just get rid of it. And they put it on a cart and put some cows and say, you you guys just go. And so off they go. I guess it's oxen. And and off they take off and go back to Israel. So 
back in chapter 7 now, 1 Samuel 7. It says, The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated his son Eliezer to have char- charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. 20 years. 20 years the ark stays here at Kiriath-Jerim. And it takes 20 years before somebody thinks, you know what, maybe we should do something. Maybe it's time for us to kind of make right what happened here. 20 years is a long time. 20 years in which Samuel appears to be growing in power and influence. And finally, Samuel is the one who leads the Israelites to say, you know what, it's time for us to make right what happened. Look at verse 3. Then Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. Notice the fasting. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? Fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So the people gather together for the sake of repentance. They want to acknowledge we have done wrong and we want to put away the foreign gods. We want to serve just Jehovah. Their hearts are turned to God. So 20 years have passed and the people are in a different place. The people are not where they were where they're saying, God, come help us. Where they say, let's bring the ark into the camp. They're now at a position where they say, you know, we need to acknowledge we've done wrong and we need God not just to fight our battles for us. We need God because we have sinned against him. Now, verse 7. Now, when the, the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. So when they gather together for this repentance, that looks like rebellion to the Philistines. They think, oh no, they're going to try to attack us. And so they attack. And the people, I I love their response to this. When they attack, they are afraid and they talk to Samuel and say, keep praying, don't stop praying, offer the sacrifices, make sure God is on our side in this. And this time, God helps them. He thunders a mighty sound, it confuses them, Israel wins the victory, they pursue the Philistines, and suddenly things have changed for Israel. So now, verse 12, where we began, verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called his name Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities of the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was a peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So what Samuel does is he takes a special stone, It's not clear what makes the stone special. I imagine it would have to be fairly large. Otherwise, you know, it would be hard for a stone, a small stone to stay set up in the way that he seems to set it up. But it's kind of a monument in the area where the battle ended. Here is the monument. You know, we sometimes do that, don't we? Here's a battle and we put up a monument so we remember, here's what happened here. So that we remember the victory or in some cases the defeat of what happened in that important place. 
And names are extremely important to Bible people. And so Samuel names the stone Ebenezer. And if you have a little footnote or something, Ebenezer means a stone of help. And he explains there in verse 12, till now or up to this point, in this instance, to this place, thus far, all of those things. Okay, up to now, the Lord has helped us. Now that's exactly what happened in the battle, right? The Lord helped them. He hadn't helped them before. Even though they brought the ark into the camp, he had not helped them before. Now he has helped them. And so he puts up this stone to say, God has helped us up to this point. The victory came from God. But now Ebenezer. Remember, Ebenezer for 20 years was identified with the place where the battle was lost. But now Ebenezer is redeemed and redefined. It is no longer synonymous with defeat and shame. It is now a symbol of victory. And so Samuel deliberately says, no, this is what Ebenezer will mean from this point forward. The Lord has helped us. So I want you to think for a minute about what that would mean, uh, what this stone is there for. First of all, an Ebenezer is a symbol to remind us of a past victory. This is about victory. God has done something great for us. And there are some things that need to be remembered and need to be memorialized. When God does something great, when something special happens, we become concerned that we might forget it. And this happens in our uh, nation. It happens throughout the world where we know some things are so important that we got to have something visible so that we say that's, that's what happened there. And we can talk to our children. And we could say, hey, let's go to this monument. Or, or when the children, we drive by and we say, what does that mean? Then we can talk about the history and how it's important to remember past victories. Did you notice that nobody was building any monuments after they lost the first battle of Ebenezer? We don't really like monuments that are about defeats. Because we don't want to celebrate the shame of that. And sometimes we just want to forget about it. I mean, there is a place for remembering when we've done terrible things. But terrible things don't usually inspire us. Okay, that's something that comes from the great stories of victory. I, I, grew up, I grew up in Texas, and Texas history is all about the Alamo and San Jacinto. And these great, even if there wasn't a great victory, something amazing happened there. And those are symbols for Texans. That's what that means. And so there is almost this feeling we've got to remember the great victories so that we know who we are. And that is part of what Samuel is doing here. It is also a trigger to help us praise God. You see, when we remember the desperation of our situation, how we cried out to God in a time of need, how powerfully God helped us, then this, this symbol becomes a trigger to say God has done something great. Ebenezer means the Lord has helped us. He did something we couldn't do for ourselves. So let's praise him. Let's thank him. And Ebenezer is a signal of God's power to redeem our disasters. Ebenezer is recast. Instead of standing for failure, now it stands for success. So when I talk about redeeming here, I'm not talking about ultimate salvation. That's not really what happens here. What I'm talking about is taking something bad and redefining it. God bringing a blessing into what before was not a blessing and changing it. And we have situations in our lives where something negative is turned into something positive. Like Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God turned your evil into good. He redeemed it. And so he redeems Ebenezer so that the people are left with something positive instead of something negative. And when we, we see this stone, he says, remember what God has done and how God has changed our fate about this. And Ebenezer is also a reminder that God is constantly available. 
You see, it's not just the past. But when we say up to this point, till now, God has helped us, what we are saying is God is there, God is dependable, and in the future I can rely on him. That's what that stone says. So we sang this song, uh, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in that verse, I think it's the second verse, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Up to this point, I've gotten here by your help. But then we, we take it further in that song, did you notice? And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. You got me this far, I trust you'll get me the rest of the way. I trust that the same God who has helped me will continue to help me. And that's part of what an Ebenezer is, is a stone that says God is there and I can depend on him. So Samuel takes a stone and he gives it a religious meaning, a special meaning. And I think we're familiar with that idea. I just want to remind you, we do this all the time. Uh, usually there are objects that we have in our lives that are not just objects. Okay, think about a wedding ring. I know I'm wearing a rubber type ring right now. This is not the ring that Sarah gave me on our wedding day because that one kept coming off. So we're, we're, we're both agreed that this is okay. But what does a wedding ring signify? It is not just a piece of gold. It means far more than that. It symbolizes a commitment and a relationship. It communicates something to the people around us and to us. I, I also have, you guys don't see me wear it a lot because it's kind of big and gaudy, but I have a, uh, a, a ring from the university I attended. And that ring means a lot to me, not because it's a particular you know, kind of gold or anything like that. It's because it represents something. It represents 17 years of education and the hard work that it took for me to get that. And when I wear it, when I think about that, it means more than just the object. Or we have things like this. Um, I have a number of, uh, since I've been marathoning, I have a number of medals. You get a medal at the end of the race, the medals are worthless. I mean, they're a couple of dollars. But uh, Sarah bought me a rack where I hang all these medals. There are some of those medals that mean so much to me, not because they're valuable, but because they represent something about the hard work it took to get to that point. I think you have stuff like that. I think that there, you know, maybe it's the first time you bought a car or the home that you first bought. That It's not just about the object. It's about, well, this represents so much that led me to this point, and just this thing itself is invested with meaning. The question is not whether we have things that mean things to us. The question is whether we take objects like that and imbue them with meaning about God. That's what the stone is. It is not just about, hey, we won the battle because we're awesome. You know, that's kind of the way we do things in America. Hey, we won the battle because America is great. But God helped us. Now, I understand, you know, we might get nervous about some of this, about uh, objects and giving objects meaning, because sometimes it can sound a little bit like idolatry. I want to remind you, idolatry is about making representations of God. Idolatry is about taking an object and saying, this is something that is God or looks like God or a facet of God. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Samuel is doing. He didn't build an idol. This is about taking everyday objects and saying, let me let this object remind me of the faithfulness of God. So, raise your Ebenezer. Stop and celebrate what God has done for you. Praise God for your victories. You know, Israel still had a lot of problems. But there was a time, and Samuel took it, there was a time to say God did something for us here. And instead of worrying about everything else, he had a lot of things on his plate. 
as he was a ruler of the nation, instead of worrying about everything else he had to take care of, just stop and praise God for what was happening. So I want to take a minute and just help you think through what that might look like for you and me. I keep sliding forward on the stool here. What that might look like in different areas of our lives. And I want us to think about areas where we could raise an Ebenezer. In other words, where we could say, God has helped us up to this point. He deserves praise. And if we feel like it, maybe even having some kind of object that we would say, this might help me signal what God has done. So uh, first of all, as a, as a congregation, uh, we reach congregational milestones. That is, when we appoint elders and deacons, that's a significant milestone. We've appointed a deacon in the last year. Uh, when we're able to move into a building, that's a big deal. Uh, when we are able to support men to preach the gospel, that's sort of a financial milestone, but it's also a big deal. Or even send funds to other places and other men. I, I, I believe it's a significant victory. You know, a couple of years ago, I believe it was 2017, uh, we completely changed our order of services and we moved our Sunday evening service up to this time. And not only is it a milestone to me when there is a, a major change in how we do things, it is a milestone for me when we change things and people don't get upset and leave. Okay, I, That's a big deal because we're able to withstand changes that are not you know, biblical or unbiblical, but just about how we do things because it signals that there is peace in the congregation and that there are people who we trust our leadership and we're going to follow them. That's a big deal. This congregation has just had a number of victories. We've been in this area for a long, long time. I'm sure there was a time when this congregation was just starting. It was just a handful. And I'm sure there was growth. And then there were men who were appointed to serve this congregation. The gospel was preached. People followed Jesus. And then as we've grown, as we've continued, you know, there have been times where we've had to relocate. And yet this group has stayed intact. We've added new efforts as a congregation. Uh, we have added, uh, well, we have gospel meetings. We have a youth workshop. By the way, it's coming up next month. Uh, we have a VBS. We've added just last year uh, an adult workshop. These are all efforts we make to preach the gospel and spread the gospel. By the way, I don't know if you guys even know this, but I hear on a regular basis from people who find our lessons and our material on the Internet and they use it in ways that I don't even know or understand because they're, they're doing their own things and yet they, they stumble on our website or they search for things on our website. Uh, we have a website, we record what we do, and it is used. And that's awesome. Those are things that, to be celebrated. But I think most of all, we have peace here. And that is significant because that is a gift from the Lord. Now, do we have sad times as a congregation? Absolutely we do. We have had times where a number of brothers have left this congregation angry. We've had times where we've seen people leave our congregation to go back into the world. And those things are, are sad and tragic. But when you talk about Ebenezer, that, that's not the idea that everything is perfect. It wasn't perfect in Israel. It's saying, I understand that there's some more work to be done. But we have so many things to celebrate because God is at work. And so we stop and we say thank you to God. So I want to say for my part, 
what I see here that is worth celebrating. I see positivity in this congregation. I see closeness. I see kindness. I see earnest devotion. And I see honesty and openness and humility. And I see it with such regularity that sometimes I don't even notice because it's just kind of the way things are done. I see real people with real faith struggling through real problems. And that is an encouragement to me. Now, of course, we have more to do, more places to go. We have things we need to work on. But till now, the Lord has helped us. So raise your Ebenezer. Let's talk about as a family. It's kind of hard to talk about families because every family is different. Some of us are still at home with our families. Uh, Some of us, our families are missing a parent. Some of us are out of our parents' house, but uh, we're single, so we don't really know, are we a family or not? You know, do I have to wait on that? Some of us have close families that are stretching out over many generations. How do we raise our Ebenezer? Well, uh, I'll just talk about myself for a minute here. I think that's easier than trying to talk about other people's stuff. Um, I came from a broken home, and my dad left my mom, and the Lord helped us through that time. It was a really hard time for my family. I have two older brothers. We bonded very closely during all of that. And uh, we had a a hard time. My mom had a hard time. After a few years, she met and married my stepdad. We had a hard time. It was a hard transition. But the Lord was with us through it all. And the, the idea of compromising our faith was just never really on the table. And uh, I, I look back on that, and I see, as I trace through that, I, I see the Lord behind all of it, helping us to grow, helping us to bond as a family, and making us to have a faith that was a lot deeper than we would have had otherwise. Uh, there was a strength to it, because it came through such adversity. And then the, the Lord helped me to find a wife who has been a wonderful help and strength to me, She loves the Lord. She helps me to be a better man. She has been patient as I have had to mature into the man that God calls me to be. He's given me three precious children. I tell you, I uh, I, I don't know that I've ever prayed like I prayed when Sarah was pregnant with our kids uh, because there is so much uncertainty and anxiety in that time. And yet the Lord has answered prayers over and over again. Things have not always been easy. But the Lord has brought us through through severe financial trouble, through sickness, through moves, through conflict. So I can say up to this point, I don't know what the future holds, but up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Well, I don't know if that helps you. I think some people probably look at that and say, oh, well, that's easy for you to say. You really have been blessed. But I'm not saying that people who have not shared my experience can't celebrate that. There is celebration even in negativity, like Israel did. So you might ask, well, how do, you know, my life isn't like that. How do I celebrate as a family? And I just want to encourage you to search for the good, to ask the question, where is the Lord's hand in this? If I'm single, what blessings do I have because I'm single? What good can I do? How is the Lord helping me to grow in this time? If my home is a mess, you look around and you say, these relationships are not going well, it's a struggle. How is the Lord helping me through the mess? And it may be that like the Ebenezer idea, there is something bad that needs to be redeemed and changed and that you're waiting on the Lord to do that. 
And if we're in the throes of disappointment, something like this is happening where our kids are drifting or our finances are a mess or we're just struggling spiritually. Can't we just praise God for each other? Be thankful for others, that there are other people who can help us through that time. So it's not that we don't correct and work. It's that there is a time to say as a family, look where we are and give thanks to God. Up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Raise your Ebenezer as a disciple. Each of us has our own journey as a disciple. And we have that same mix of good and bad in us that's true of every person. But isn't there room to celebrate the victories that we've experienced? I hope that you can look back on your walk with God and find things to celebrate. So the easy way I find to do this is to ask the question, how have I grown spiritually in the last five or ten years? The last few years, what can I see that's different now than it was then in a positive way? What is better? So we can celebrate things like sins that we have overcome. You know, there are times where there are sins that just stick to us and that we struggle with. And yet we can see progress or sometimes we can see victory. This is a time to praise God. We can celebrate virtues that we now see are more prominent in our lives than they used to be. I'm better at that than I used to be. That's easier for me than it used to be. We can celebrate growth that allows us not to be discouraged by hard times, what we might call depth, that sometimes we just get stronger. I don't know what those things are for you. Those things will be unique to each one of us. But the Lord keeps working on us. And when we see that growth, we praise God. So we say, the Lord has helped me till now. All right, so let me just say one more thing and then I'll be done. Samuel's act of the Ebenezer involves a physical object, a stone. So you might ask, well, do I need to get an object? Do I need to go buy some rocks? I guess you could just go pick some up. These are all pretty, though, the ones on the board. I'll just say you don't have to have an object, but you might find an object helpful. The thing about objects is they're just there. And so when you happen to see it, you, you might not remember, but it triggers something because it's always there. And so it might be that you say, this is the thing that I'm going to use to trigger my memory, to trigger me to praise God, so that I can then say, to this point, the Lord has been at work in me. So raise your Ebenezer, think about what God has done, and give him praise for it. Thanks for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.